Disrupting Japan, Episode 81. Disrupting Japan is sponsored by Justa. Now, I've known the team at Justa for years, and I've been recommending them long before they became a sponsor. Justa is really the only recruiting site that gets bilingual startups. Whether you're looking for American engineers or Japanese sales staff or the other way around, Justa can help you out. Unlike recruiting companies, they are priced to be very startup friendly, and unlike job boards, they're an active part of the startup community here, and they're trusted by some of the best talent Japan has to offer. So drop by justa.io and see what they're about. Welcome to Disrupting Japan, straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. You know, The term artificial intelligence is thrown around far too loosely these days. Every startup using decision trees, Bayesian algorithms, or the simplest machine learning techniques label themselves as world leaders in AI. Now, there's no question that projects like Google's driverless cars and IBM's Watson have pushed the limits of what is possible. And have introduced astounding innovations in AI over the past few years. But sometimes it's surprising to take a look at the kinds of problems that are extremely difficult for AI. It turns out that folding laundry is one of those problems. Today we sit down with Shin Sakane, CEO of Seven Dreamers and inventor of the Laundroid. The first commercially available fully automatic laundry folding robot. We talk a lot about AI in general and the importance and the risk of attacking the really hard problems and what he and his firm had to go through to make Laundroid a reality. It's also worth noting that Seven Dreamers is not your typical venture backed startup, and Shin and I talk a lot. About the role that mid sized companies have to play in kickstarting the Japanese economy and returning Japan to the global leader in innovation she was in the 60s and 70s. But you know, Shin tells that story much better than I can. So let's hear from our sponsor and get right to the interview. Some of Japan's largest companies are starting open innovation programs and actively reaching out to global startups. They're new at this, and that's where Crew, with two W's, comes in. Crew runs corporate startup accelerators for companies like Toyota and Panasonic and dozens more. And these programs are one of the best ways to jumpstart your business in Japan. Many are open to global startups, and they're completely free. Now, I've known and worked with the Crew team, and they're probably doing more than anyone to bridge the gap between corporate Japan and global startups. So, drop by crew with two W's dot me slash four hyphen startups and get started. So, I'm sitting here with Shin Sakane of Seven Dreamers, and we've been bumping into each other for a long time、right. now. <laughs> so, thanks for finally making time and sitting down with me. Thank you very much for coming. We're here to talk a lot about the Laundroid. Now, it's a robot that folds clothes, which I guess is a simple way of explaining it, but Why don't you tell us a bit more about what it is? Okay. We've been working on this you know, project for the last、um, 12 years almost. Wow. Yeah. We started in, back in 2005. This robot、uh, really folds you know, daily life clothes and separate by、uh, categories or、uh, by family members. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it can, it can put all the shirts in one pile, or it can put all of dad's clothes in one pile and well, mom's actually, in another. Well, the, actually, the key feature of Landroid is、uh, after you dry your clothing, you just put up to, say, around 30、uh, clothes into an、uh, insert box at the bottom. Then artificial intelligence and robotics with、uh, vision analysis technology, robot arms pick one. Closings by one, and then it folds and put in the pickup box.、Uh, if you choose separate by closing category mode, then you know, Landroid puts towels in the towel tray and t shirt in the t shirt tray. Okay, and since this is an audio podcast, I guess we have to 
the Londroid is a, it's a large machine. It's about, what, two meters tall? Yeah. About and that. about 75 centimeters squared. Right now it's like a little thinner, about 60 centimeter. Um, Deep? Yes. And then 87 centimeter wide. Okay. So it's a little thinner and wider. And it is, it is literally a black box. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of of Howl in a way. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it does have it's it's this big black monolith, right? Exactly. With a bright circle on the front of it. Right. So you simply put up to thirty articles of wet clothes in the bottom. Right. And then it sorts it onto shelves in the middle. Right. Exactly. Excellent. And then if you want to separate by family members mode, in order to use this separation mode, you have to do very simple. Uh, one-time registration process for each family member. If I purchase a Landroid, the first day what I do is I put put everything into the box, just myself, my my clothes, and then with the, your smartphone, register as a father, you know, father's clothes. And then, oh, okay. yeah, robot arms picks up one, clothes by one, and then it takes so many pictures for each item. So it learns by example. Yeah, exactly. And it does automatically kind of remembers the features of each clothing. The field of AI is, I mean, it's fascinating from the inside, but it's very interesting from the outside Mm -hmm. in that, so you guys have been working on this for 12 years to get to, to the point where you're ready for production. Right. Why is this a hard problem? Why does AI have trouble folding clothes? It was very hard, but not that hard to develop the robot to just fold, for example, t-shirt and towels, you know, you know pants. Uh, it took us three years about to, to achieve that. Okay. But the condition is we have to place, say, t-shirt or pants at a certain place first. Then robot automatically folds. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, that wasn't that hard. That was hard, but that's not that hard. The hardest part was just dump, you know, random clothings in the box and then robot arm pick up one shirt or one clothing and then recognizes if this is t-shirt or pants or towels and then recognizes if it's upside down or flipped or something like that and then place at certain location in order to start folding. That's the hardest part. Okay. It's not the folding that's difficult. It's the getting ready for the folding. Right, right, right. It's so easy for human beings, but it's so hard for robots and artificial intelligence. So, for example, there's a a group in Berkeley Mm -hmm. who's built a robot that all it does is fold towels. Yes. Towels have to be the simplest thing possible to fold. They're all the same shape. There's no real upside down to them. And it takes about a minute and a half per towel. Right. It does seem like folding clothes is one of those difficult problems. Well, yeah, it is difficult, but um, there are already three organizations who, who tried it, who achieved doing this, you know, rather than Seven Dreamers. One is, as you mentioned, Berkeley. Uh, also, like Berkeley, one of the Berkeley group uh, achieved to also fold T-shirt just uh, by using two industrial robot arms. But even if when they do it, they have to place T-shirt in a certain place first. Then they start folding, right? So they achieve that, and you can see that on YouTube. And we think it's worthless because... <laughs> right, right. By the time you take the... T- right, right. The time it takes to position the right, towel. Right, right. I might as well just fold it right. after you know, additional, with additional five seconds. Uh-huh. So there's another organization or company uh, called Foldimate, Foldimate uh, which is a U.S.-based venture startup company, I think based in Silicon Valley. Their machine, or well, from the uh, CG uh, picture, I don't know if it's real or not, but also a um, customer has to place t-shirt or towel you know, at yeah, certain points. You have to clip it in. Yes, machine, exactly. Right? That's what it is. Yes. So that's another thing that we had that technology already in back in 2008 and we didn't commercialize because we thought no one is going to buy it because it, it, it's already hard to do it. You know? It's so, right. too much trouble, hassle doing it. The third organization is University of Tokyo. They are the one who tried to do something similar to what we've done but they could not also um, pick up the clothing and place it from the random. So they, okay. they gave up. So that's, that's the hard part. Yeah, that's the hard part. And so Laundroid can fold 
anything, pants and shirts and socks and everything? Yeah, pretty much all the regular clothes,、uh, including t shirt and long sleeve shirt and pants, shorts and towels. And there are three things that Landroid cannot do.、Ah. One is Landroid cannot flip clothes, meaning that the t shirt has to be. Ah, if it's inside out? Right, right,、ah, exactly. Right, okay, so the, that's fair. Right, the mother in each, each home has to educate husband and kids to, you know. Turn them right side right, out. Right, right, then just dump into the box, right? Okay, that's fair. Yeah. And then, second thing is、uh, laundry doesn't do buttons. Polo shirt is okay. Polo shirt, you don't need to do buttons, and then still laundry can fold okay. Ah, right. But, you know, shirt like that. Um, you have to put like, maybe at least three buttons to, to, for Android to fold you know, nicely. Yeah,、right. and I guess you really need、yeah. very dexterous fingers. That's very, very difficult、okay. task. And then, third thing is something that Android cannot do at the moment, but、uh, it, he will do it within a year with the software update uh, is uh, sock sparings. Socks. <laughs> yeah. So, this is like kind of funny, but it's so hard, you know? It, I've got to admit, it, is, it does seem strange that, I mean, AI can safely drive cars all over San Francisco right, and right. Tokyo, but they can't fold socks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, it could, but、um, makes mistakes at a high rate. For example,、um, very dark navy blue socks with. You know, compared with the black socks, sometimes you know, pairs it, <laughs> it makes a mistake. Or the same socks, but one is shrunk, smaller than the other. It happens, right? And、uh, it makes、uh, Android recognize this as a different pair. Or the same black color, but different textures. You know, Android still makes mistakes. Okay. And this is like you know, AI, you know, machine learning. So,、um, you know, with a software update, maybe within a year, Android will be able to do it. Can you talk about the, the technology you use? I know up until now, you guys have been very secretive、yeah. about what's going on inside、right. this black box.、Right. Can, you, can you talk about that yet, or is that still.、Um, yeah,、uh, I cannot talk about the key. Technology is there, but I can talk about briefly、uh, what's going on. This technology has achieved by combining three、uh, different technology areas. One is robotics, the other one is artificial intelligence, the third one is visual analysis. So, combining these three technologies, we made it happen. Basically,、uh, as I mentioned, that the recognizing the each you know, type of clothing or、um, You know, the direction of what's going on, is that, that's the hardest part. So, initially, robot arms pick up one close, and then visual analysis see with the camera, and AI recognizes if, if T shirt or you know, what kind of type of clothes that is. And if AI cannot recognize, then robot arms change s to position, and then try, try again. again. So, we repeat this. Uh, many times and eventually find, okay, this is t shirt, for example. And then from that, still, visual analysis takes, oh, where is the edge of this shirt? Where is the center of this neck circle, for example? You know, what's the size of it? Then it falls, you know, one by one and then just put into the pickup tray. How quickly does it work?、Um, this is the only thing that Android <laughs> doesn't do well. Uh, it takes a long time to fold, 5 to 12 minutes per item. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is quite long. It's like ridiculously long. But we thought this would be the problem for the commercializing, you know, marketing purposes. But we did intensive kind of interviews,、uh, depth interviews with many, many different、uh, potential customers. And most of them said the time is not an issue. Of course, they like to be you know, quicker. But so the, I, the idea is just that since it's running automatically by itself, right, they can、right. just go about their business. Right. right. Okay. So five、sense. to twelve minutes means like for thirty items, it takes two and a half hours to say five or six hours total. So this means that、uh, they can just dump all the dried clothes into Landroid in the morning. So in the afternoon, it's done and they already separated. And or if they can dump in. 
uh, before they go to bed. In the morning, it's done. So we call like night landroid or morning landroid. Right? <laughs> so so right. they said if it's completely automatic, it doesn't really matter. I guess as as time goes on and the technology improves, mm-hmm. that's only going to get faster and faster. Oh yeah, yeah definitely. So uh, this is Android only works at the Wi-Fi connected environment, just like your smartphone. It does software update, you know, regularly, and it, of course it gets faster, you know, get better and better. Excellent. Let me ask you about uh, you. Okay. For a little bit. All right. Because you are not the typical startup CEO we usually have, and Seven Dreamers is definitely not the typical startup company we have on this show. Right. So after I got PhD in the U.S., I came back to Japan in January 2000, and then I had a 30-year plan to grow you know, business. And then first 15 years, my aim is to learn and also learn in the B2B technology-oriented business. Was that business a family business? Or oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I had you know, different choices. Of course, I was able to work for, for example, like Sony or Panasonic or Toyota, wherever that is. But also, um, luckily, my father also uh, started his own company back in 1983, and he was very successful. And he wanted me to join the company, but I was always denying, you know, I don't want it, I don't want it. But um, after I got PhD and I came back to Japan, I realized that maybe probably the place where I can learn the most is my, at my father's company. So I apologized. And <laughs> <laughs> can I join your company? And he said, okay, sure. And then I started my career, um, business career at his company. First, he said, first five years, just follow me. You know, you just uh, carry my bag and then you learn. And I said, no, no way. <laughs> That's something I, like, I really don't want to do. So I asked him to uh, uh, let me do a new business development. So I, uh, he created a new group and I became head of the group manager there. And then I kind of started a new business. And luckily, like successfully, I made a new um, good products for one of the medical device companies in Japan. And that business grew so fast. Well, that's true. You have, um, right now, you're getting all the attention for Laundroid, but you also have two other very successful lines of products that have absolutely nothing to do with, with AI or with <laughs> exactly. Laundry. Right, right. Yeah, so this is like uh, the medical device uh, called Nascent is uh, for the snoring and, you know, uh, sleep apnea. The, uh, my actually first uh, new business is actually in the medical healthcare market. That B2B business turned out really successful. And after two, you know, three years, so in 2003, my father said, whoa, maybe you can run the company, and he left the company. <laughs> oh. And I became CEO of that company, and okay. <laughs> and then I ran that company for eight years as a CEO. And at that time, I grew the company, I doubled in, in revenue, and then that was pretty good. Uh, but that was all based on my father's, you know, uh, base foundation or base technologies. And then uh, year 2010, we already had the uh, base technology for Android and base technology for medical device nascent. So I asked my father that my vision after 2015 is we really want to challenge B2C business, consumer business. And in order to do that, bank loan is not enough. So I need to probably raise funds from venture capitals or other investors. And if we do that, we need to um, go for IPO at some point. Mm-hmm. And my father at that time, he was a chairman. And he said clearly, oh, okay, um, that's not acceptable. Really? Yeah. All right. So, uh, okay, and the reason was uh, my grandfather, my father's father, used to have a really big company. Um, he also started his own company, and he went IPO. So third generation of oh, yeah, kind of, yeah. here. Not in the same company, but... Uh, and that company was, uh, I, I think, the second-level uh, Tosho, Tokyo Stock Exchange uh, public company. And then that company was bought by someone, uh, how do you say that? Uh, he, he, my, my grandfather didn't want that to happen, but someone bought a lot of shares. Um, oh, so it was a hostile takeover? Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. 
And so our family, like my grandfather, lost his company. So my father saw that happen in the past. So he doesn't want any, you know, investors' money into my my father's company. So we had a intensive discussions in 2010, and then kind of we decided to sort of separate. You know, I started my own startup company. But you guys started the development of the the Laundroid uh, five years before that, right? Right. right so right. you were you were funding this out of operations for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But I only spend money for this new business, like Laundroid and Nasten, just from my new business, which is a healthcare B two B business. So I kind of separated, you know, new businesses and you know existing businesses, and I, I try to do both. So in 2010, uh, we finally kind of agreed to separate, and then let my sister run my father's company, and she's also a good business woman, and she was running subsidiary in the United States, and she was very successful. So we thought she can she can run the whole company. And I established Seven Dreamers in February 2011, actually in Silicon Valley first. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. And then Seven Dreamers、um, bought all the base technologies of Nasdaq and Android from my father's company. Also,、uh, Seven Dreamers acquired my father's company's subsidiary called Super Resin, which is the、uh, oh, the carbon、okay. fiber composite、uh, manufacturer in Tokyo. And that company is the one that, that I acquired when I was a CEO of my father's company. So, so what happens was basically whatever I created or whatever you kind of rolled right, it into right, 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 and separated it. So selling the well at that point, just、yeah. developing the Laundroid, selling the anti-snoring device,、right. and the carbon fiber golf club shafts. Right, right. It's an interesting collection of technologies.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everybody thinks it's so weird to have three different. Business areas. Yeah, wh- why? What's what led you to those three? Yeah, to me, it's it's really、um, normal, but、uh, it's really weird from everybody else. And so the reason is, you know, like R and D oriented manufacturing company, there are two ways of developing new products. One is think about from the technology seeds. The other way is the needs, right?、Hmm. My opinion, in my opinion, all the themes. Has to come from needs, not the seeds, because innovation is what we want to do. This means that picking the theme is the most important things for innovations. This is the maybe the most important. Many people make mistakes there, but in my opinion, picking the theme for innovation has to be from the demands or needs, and then we have to f- really find the theme which is not available in the world, right?、Okay. But something people want to have. So you're looking for very much blue ocean type niches、right. where there's not competition. Where right, right, right. You're inventing something、right. genuinely new. Yeah, we have three criterias to pick the theme, which we really, really value. This one is the theme has to be、uh, not available anywhere in the world. Something definitely new. And the second is something to really make people's life better. And the third is something. That has a very high technological hurdles. Okay, these three are the very important criteria when we pick things. And yeah, I've been thinking about these、uh, for the last thirteen years, but I only found five good things. We come up with many new ideas. Oh, maybe this is a good thing. But most of the time,、uh, even if that product is not available in Japan, but maybe available in Europe or US already. Or even if the the idea or product is not available anywhere、uh, in the world, but if we do patent search and article search, someone is already doing it. Yeah. So this is the most of the the time it's the case. So what what happened to the other two themes? You two said themes? you, had, you、yeah. said you had five good. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We have two themes,、uh, you know,、uh, ongoing, you know, secret development. Secret, secret. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you know, in thirteen years, I only found five. Right. So it's so rare. So、yeah. many people want to do something new. For example, if we only focus in, for example, electronics market, then maybe chance of finding themes is very low. Well, this is something I think that most startup founders, well, most young startup、mm-hmm. founders, don't understand how incredibly difficult 
and unlikely it is to come up with an idea that many people have not had before. Right, 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 right. It's yeah. really hard. Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard, as you said. But getting back to the Laundroid, you've been getting a lot of press attention recently, mm-hmm. and you're going to be taking pre-orders soon now. Soon, yes, yes. We are going to open a showroom uh, called Laundroid Cafe in uh, Omotesando, Tokyo, next month, like March 16th. Okay. And then we are going to take a pre-order end of May. And and when do you expect to start shipping? End of the year, yes. Now, you got, fairly early on, you got some investment from uh, Daiwa House and Panasonic. Right, right. What do they see in Laundroid? Uh, Are they involved with development at all, or is it strictly production and and marketing? Laundroid will be sold under Seven Dreamers brand. Um, But uh, what they can do is Panasonic is supporting us for the production preparation because uh, we are good at developing new products, new technologies, but we, en- we don't have much experience mass producing you know, home appliances. Right. For example, like uh, life testing, you know, a lot of like, um, you know, electronics testing. So is, is Panasonic simply producing it for you or, or can we expect to see Laundroid integrated with Panasonic's washer and dryers at some point in the future? Yeah, actually both, both okay. yes. So the folding part, uh, we are the one who has, you know, developed technologies and we are the one who ha- owns all the global patents. And, uh, but um, manufacturing and also we don't have washer and dryer IP at all. <laughs> so um, it's going to be a, com- you know, combination uh, combined work. All right. All right. And Daiwa House is uh, supporting a lot of like marketing research. And also, uh, they want us to expand Landroid business into nursing homes and hospitals. Mm. They are really, really into that kind of business segments. That is interesting because it does seem that nursing homes, hospitals, hotels would be the natural first adopters for a technology like Landroid. Yeah, that's what everybody says. But uh, as I mentioned before, that I'm only interested in B2C market. All right. (laughs) So I never thought of it. But after um, we uh, discussed, you know, after discussion with Daiwa House, and I thought, okay, that's a good idea. So we, we do it. But also, the, uh, my, my main aim to have a partnership with uh, Daiwa House is uh, I want to uh, create a Landroid home built-in, which is we install Landroid into you know, homes. Once you um, put your dirty clothings into uh, some kind of like hole, Landroid, then uh, it washes, dries, and falls, and it's separated by family members, and then automatically brings into uh, each family member's closet. Okay, so that's, that's right. some deep integration into the home. Right, right, right. So that, that's, that's nice, right? Yeah. It would just, you'd wake up in the morning, the clothes yeah. would be folded right, and right. put away. Right, uh, what, what we want to do is, for example, if you have a you know, schedule in Google Calendar, uh, or we're going to go picnic tomorrow, then in the morning, next morning, uh, already, oh, the, you know, Google knows weather, temperature, everything, right? <laughs> and, then what, and then Android knows what you like in spring, for example. So, okay, how about this and this and this? And then, you know, you see everything there and just you wear it. <laughs> it's getting close to some real uh, Jetsons, Jetsons technology <laughs> right, right, right. here. But in order to do this, uh, we have to have a partnership with a home builder. Right. And then Daiwa House was a perfect fit for us. Interesting. Now, you mentioned before that Laundroid requires uh, a Wi-Fi connection. So yes. all of the, the AI and the analysis is being done off-site in the cloud somewhere. Actually, both, oh. uh, because it really requir- requires intensive calculations. So Laundroid itself has AI uh, software in there. And also the Laundroid core, it's our core server, central server, also has AI calculation functions. And so it, it you know, communicate each other and then you know, sending you know, data each other and then you know, fold by one by one. By one. So it's a collaborative yes, effort. Work, yeah. And I, I guess it means it's very easy to push new AI updates right. to existing Landroids right. as well. So AI function uh, software in Landroid core and also Landroid uh, itself you know, always Updated. Excellent. So even the people who buy the first model 
we'll get the sock folding update when right, it comes right, out. Right, 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 right. So the first adapter don't lose, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Are you planning on doing anything else with that data? Is there value in data on how frequently or what type of clothes are being washed and worn? Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So as I mentioned that the Landroid remembers who wears what, how often, right? Of course, this is always, um, uh, we have to really have a perfect control of the uh, privacies. We don't sell private you know, information, but uh, we can connect um, business to business using the big data. For example, apparel uh, makers like Uniqlo, uh, they know uh, what kind of clothes they sell at each store, but they don't know if that clothes, how long it was used, how often it was Well, that's true. Worn. Yeah, everyone knows what's being sold, but nobody knows what's actually right. being worn. Right, right, right. So we are probably, it's going to be the only one who knows all that. <laughs> So I'm sure there's a certain value to it. Interesting. Yeah. You recently raised about $60 million right, right. from SBI. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, other, yeah. Led by SBI. Right, right. Yeah. Was that round mainly targeting global expansion? Yeah, let me start from the uh, Series A fundraising, okay. which I started January 2014. It took me more than one year to, to complete the Series A. It was really difficult. But uh, we raised about $15 million. And that's from a um, couple venture capitals and a few... Um, oh, CVC, I should say. CVC, corporate, Co- VCs. corporate VCs. Okay. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. That $15 million is mainly for domestic marketing of nascent medical oh, okay. device and also um, development for Android technology. And then after that, uh, I started a Series B fundraising, which we completed in last year, uh, October 2016. So as you mentioned, SBI and Panasonic and Daiwa House. So then uh, we raised about $60 million. So that was mainly for Landroid uh, development and kind of getting ready for productions. And then right now we are under process of uh, Series of C fundraising, which is not that as much as Series B, but uh, this is for the global you know, expansion right. of Nascent and Landroid and Cavern Golf Shaft, actually three businesses. Okay. Looking at the global market for Landroid, there, there seems to be a lot of kind of uh, press release mm-hmm. competition. You mentioned uh, Foldmate. Mm-hmm. There's a whole bunch of Kickstarter projects, right, but right. nobody seems to be shipping anything yet. Right, right. Do you think there will be competition coming online soon? Or do you think that the other companies are going to remain uh, press release competition? <laughs> uh, it will be just press release competition for probably a few years. But eventually, I'm sure um, the competitions will come, just like other any other products. We have a really, really uh, big advantages in technology development. It took us 12 years to, to achieve this. So I'm sure uh, even if you know, other competitors have money and human resources, it's going to take a few years mm-hmm. to catch up for sure. We want to always have the name of we you know, invented this. And also we want to have the largest share. So my role model company is Johnson Johnson. So they launched One Day Active View, you know, One Day Contact Lenses in 1991. So uh, since then, it's, it's been 20-some years, but still they have 50% share in the whole world. And their product is probably the most expensive one compared to other companies, mm-hmm. many, many other One Day Contact Lenses. If you're so much ahead of the possible competition, what is the motivation to go global so quickly? Are there specific opportunities you're chasing or is it a part of a broader strategy? One of the reasons is I really hate Japanese company to be always domestic. Ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think we can do, we can expand globally. Like Japanese companies can do it and I want to show, you know. Um, you know, even small like startup company like Seven Dreamers can globally expand. And I know I, I was I lived in the U.S. for several years, so I know even a like great company like Google and Apple, 
when they launch new product, immediately they you know expand globally. Right. Immediately. Right. Very the fast. The same days. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But the Japanese company, Japanese invention, stays here all the time, you know, forever, which I really hate. So that's one of the reasons that we want to expand globally so quickly. And the second reason is like uh, I have the goal in 2030. The revenue is 3.5 billion dollars, and then the profit margin uh, is 20%. That's the goal that I set in year 2000. And that can only happen globally. Right. Japanese market, way, way too small. That's a lot of laundry to fold. <laughs> exactly. A lot of snoring patients <laughs> we need. <laughs> yep. Okay. Let's um, talk about Japan as a whole for a minute. Okay. Because what you were just saying about the importance of going global, right now startups are getting a tremendous amount of attention in Japan. Yeah, true. But in terms of both the people employed, the technology being produced, the economic impact, it's very small. Mm. But looking at the technology that mid-sized Japanese companies have, right. like, like Seven Dreamers and like your father's company, and perhaps your grandfather's company as well, yeah. <laughs> what role do you think mid-sized companies in Japan have to play in bringing Japan forward and changing the economy and uh. changing the way innovation happens here? Okay, well, good question. Like, first of all, why I chose um, R&D-based manufacturing company to start is I thought uh, this type of business model or business segment has the highest probability or potential to grow big, really big. I probably could have a choice of establishing internet-based company, but I knew we are not gonna be as big as Apple or Sony. So uh, I think R&D based manufacturing company has the highest potential really, really grow kind of globally. But at the same time, money and time are the really, really the big risk for this kind of business model. Well, sure, I mean, it, it's, it's not like a SaaS marketplace that, that two college students can put up over the weekend. You, right. you spent 12 years right, developing right, this. Right. What are your thoughts on the future of AI and robotics in Japan? You know, two fields are at the core of, of right, right. Laundroid here. Right. Japan, actually until very recently, had always been on the leading edge of robotics. Mm. And I think maybe over the last 10 years, the market's really shifted from one that's been hardware-focused to software-focused. Right, right. Do you see Japan catching up? Mm, to be honest with you, um, not easy. Really? <laughs> not easy. I think we'll be okay, definitely. Uh, we are not going to completely lose. But when it was industrial robots, uh, we were pretty good just because it was a lot of mechanics and electronics which we are really, really good at. But nowadays, robots has to be always together with the um, software, uh, artificial intelligence. That kind of algorithm software, uh, I don't think Japan is so good. And then uh, speed of developing technologies are relatively slow. So it's not gonna be easy to be competitive, <laughs> yeah. I think. Okay. Even like um, many of our AI engineers are foreigners really? at Seven Dreamers. Yeah. Mechanics, electronics, well, robotics, these fields, we have really talented Japanese engineers. But when it comes to, we call core software, um, which is the AI part, one third of the team members are foreigners and they are excellent. Oh. <laughs> they are, yeah. Okay. Well, listen, before we wrap up, I want to ask you what I call my magic wand question. Okay. And that is, if I gave you a magic wand and I told you that you could change one thing about Japan, anything at all, the education system, the way people think about risk, the legal system, anything at all to make it better for startups here in Japan, what would you change? Can I answer two? Sure. <laughs> it's your watch. Yeah. Something 
we want to do and something I want someone else to do. Right. There are two, two, two answers. One is something we want to do is definitely we want to uh, show Japan can do it. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. We can make innovations, we can expand globally quickly. And once we do it, I'm sure there are many young followers will follow. And the second thing, one thing that uh, I want someone else to do is really I want someone to change education system completely, you know, disrupting Japan. <laughs> Please, you know, what? this is really, really bad. What, what would you change about it? <laughs> Teachers. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say that, sorry. But for example, about, you know, global thing, you know, glo globalism. Teachers have no experiences abroad, you know? Uh. Like how people can teach about global experiences without, you know, having global experiences, you know? It's impossible. This is something I think is true at all levels of the Japanese education system. I mean, at universities, you have business professors who've never been in business. Mm -hmm. They've always been in academics or uh, computer science professors who've never, have never had to write a program in a commercial environment. Is that attitude from, you know, kindergarten all the way up to university? Oh, yeah, yeah, all the way up. And then, well, I know that what's really bad about this is uh, seniority of the academic field. For example, in business field, it's getting better. Um, of course, you know, the age really matters but not as much as educational field. In educational field, it's like a sumo wrestler. Once you become Yokozuna, you never need to leave, you know? Once you become an executive professor at the university, you never need to leave, you know? Even if you're 75, 80 years old, you still are the best. <laughs> how, how he could change the educational system, right? Even if a talented, new, young, globally experienced professor come to the university, how they can change the whole system, you know? Yeah, it makes it almost impossible to get right. in new ideas. Right, right. What's great about the U.S. university was my professor was old, you know, 70 years old. But he was really kind of senior professor. But he had his power and position just because he was raising funds from the, uh, you know, the government grant. But uh, when I was there for five years, he lost so many grants and his power went down immediately. Like, <laughs> and we had a great office, but and he shrank his lab so much. He was transferred to another really poor, cheap building <laughs> in just his own office without no lab, you know, without any lab, no students. Really based on oh, results. Yeah. Yes. And then new, very young professors took over his all the great lab <laughs> and I felt so bad but I thought oh this is the strength you know this is the power of US education and that could never happen in Japan never happened in Japan I've never seen such in any university so far it might change in the near future I hope so but so far it never happens so we don't see that attitude changing in the education system do you see it changing in business? Oh yeah, yeah, business, it's changing a So lot. you think compared to 10, 20 years ago, Japanese businessmen are being much more flexible in their thinking? Oh yeah, yeah, big time, big time. It's changed large mega companies and also uh, changed the startup uh, environment. Um, big change. Yeah, I'm very happy with it. Well, that's good to hear. Well, hopefully some of that change will filter back to the university. Yes, <laughs> I really hope so, yeah. Okay. Hey, listen, Shin, thank you so much for sitting down with well, me. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Startups are the lifeblood of an economy, and there are few who understand it better than Deloitte Tomatsu Venture Support. Deloitte TVS is the number one startup supporter in Japan, and they spur innovation here by connecting startups with larger companies and government entities. They work free of charge with these startups to help them with acceleration, PR, fundraising, and also finding the right corporate partners here. So far, Deloitte TVS has supported more than 3,000 startups in Japan. And now they have a global open innovation platform connecting startups and enterprises worldwide. It's a great way to connect with some of Japan's biggest players. 
So be sure to check out what Deloitte TVS has to offer. And we're back. You know, when I look at the Laundroid, I really can't help but think of Stanley Kubrick's 2001. Laundroid is shaped like the big black monolith from the opening scene, and its most visible feature is a big round light a little bit below eye level, which reminds me of Hal. Now, I doubt that 2001 was the inspiration for the design, and considering the fact that Hal turned into a murdering sociopath, it's pretty unlikely that Shin and his team at Seven Dreamers would appreciate the comparison. But the more I think about AI, the more I become convinced that the future is going to look a lot more like the Laundroid and a lot less like Hal. In fact, despite the progress being made in AI and the concerns over superintelligent, conscious AI being raised by such indisputable geniuses like Ray Kurzweil, Stephen Hawking, and Elon Musk, I think the geniuses have it wrong and that we are much, much farther away from AI with human-like intelligence than we imagine ourselves to be. Ray Kurzweil has been talking about this the longest. He coined the usage of the term singularity to mean the point at which computer processing power would equal that of the human brain, and computers would begin to equal and then quickly exceed human intelligence. I've been a fan of Ray Kurzweil for decades. He quoted me in one of his books once, and it put me in a good mood for an entire year. But with the utmost respect to Ray... I think there's something fundamental that he's overlooking. The assumption that the brain is a computing engine is not really based on anything. It's simply a metaphor that makes sense because we live in the computing age. If you look back into the era from 1900 to the 1930s, both science fiction and futurists were predicting intelligent, sentient robots based on complex gears and physical mechanisms. And just like today, they pointed to machines doing more and more tasks that used to require human intelligence. The dominant metaphor at the time was one of steam and gears and power, so it was natural to view ourselves in that light, as a collection of moving parts that simply needed to be understood and replicated. That metaphor no longer works today, so it's easy to see how it was incorrect. But somehow, the idea that we will achieve human-like intelligence, or even consciousness, once we just get enough operations per second, enough computing power, that metaphor and illusion still persists. Think of it this way. DNA is at the center of all life on Earth. DNA is the storage mechanism for life. It controls how we develop, and really most of the traits that define us. It's an incredibly complex molecule. But DNA is really a physical representation of an extremely large base 4 number. Or, alternatively, a very long sequence of base 4 digits. Well, today we can read that genetic code we can perfectly store that information on a USB drive. But that doesn't mean that we can create and control life. Because even though computer storage is a good metaphor for what DNA does, it's only a metaphor. That's not what DNA really is. In the same way, a floating-point operation is a very good metaphor for what a neuron does. But that's not what a neuron is. Why am I confident making this claim? Well, because our most powerful AI computing systems have not produced anything approaching consciousness or general intelligence. Of course, AI researchers and advocates will point out correctly that the singularity is still supposedly 25 years away, so we can't expect to see much progress with today's computers. But the thing is, we should expect that. In fact, we can simulate exactly how AI will behave when we have 100 times or 1,000 times the processing power we have now. 
we just have to wait a bit. We can time shift the results. We don't have to observe AI in real time. So for example, a computer AI running for 42 days on today's hardware will produce exactly the same amount of consciousness that a computer with a thousand times that processing power will produce in an hour, which so far is none at all. Someday we might well create a genuine, general artificial intelligence, but we've been fooling ourselves when we think that consciousness or general intelligence is a matter of neuron counts and operations per second. I think we're going to discover that intelligence is something far more elusive and far more complex. Computational and human thought processes are different and complementary. Computers can drive a car better than many people, and computers can defeat the world's most talented humans at chess, go, and jeopardy. But they still can't match a pair of socks. We're going to see AI improve and outperform humans at more and more tasks, and that's a great thing. I'm perfectly fine putting Hal in charge of folding my socks, but it's going to be a very long time before we should put him in control of the airlocks. If you've got thoughts about the Laundroid or that little AI monologue I just went off on, Shin and I would love to hear from you. Seriously, this is interesting stuff, so come by disruptingjapan.com show081 and let's talk about it. And when you come to the site, you'll see all the links and notes that Shin and I talked about and much, much more in the resources section of the post. But most of all, Thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan. Disrupting Japan is a proud member of the Japan Podcast Network. It's a community of high-quality podcasts in English about Japan, and there's some pretty good stuff there. So check it out at japanpodcastnetwork.com.